You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, just wanted to say a big happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there and to say how thankful I am for all of you listening each and every week. Thanks so much, and now on to the podcast. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kentdavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's KenDavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hi, everybody. Ken Davenport here. This is the Producer's Perspective podcast. We have such a fascinating guest today, a guy I uh, not only look up to, but also is a friend. Now, if you've read the blog, you know that I've talked a lot about big business and specifically those big movie studios coming into Broadway. Well, today we're going to have a rep from one of those studios here to chat with us. Please welcome the Vice President of Live Theatricals at Universal Pictures, Mr. Chris Hertzberger. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Ken. It's good to be here. So, Chris, tell us, as the VP of Live Theatricals, what, what's your primary responsibility for Universal? So I'm mostly responsible for mining the catalog, finding titles that would really lend themselves to great adaptations on stage. Also overseeing our co-productions with third parties. We have joint ventures with a number of commercial producers. And I'll also oversee some periodic uh, just licenses of titles where we're interested in separating ourselves from the development of a piece and, uh, and just letting someone run with it. So I interact both on the corporate level and making sure that we're doing all the things to make our division appealing and productive and, and remain in the category of a growing division while also, you know, doing my best to put a human face to a big corporation in this town, which thankfully I just think over the years has grown more accustomed to to the kind of corporate involvement in the theater, you know, but making sure that people understand that if you ever hear about the evil corporation, it's really me and the two people I work with and the tiny windowless, you know, space on the universal back lot. So funny story, a long time ago, I found myself chatting with the president of a certain movie studio, <laughs> who I don't think was the president at the time, and I was probably asking for the rights to something, Karate Kid or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something crazy. Yeah. And I said to this exec, I said, you know, you should really hire someone to mine your catalog. Mm -hmm. I was probably angling for your job. <laughs> and that executive at the time said, oh, that's not what we're really looking to do right now. Broadway, we... We let it's such such small potatoes for us, yeah. you know. We don't really need to focus on that, and you guys do it well, so we're going to let you do it. Obviously, that's changed because you're in the position, and every major movie studio now has a department. What do you think has changed in the minds of Hollywood execs to make this big move? I mean, I think that everyone understands uh, what what the implications are financially and creatively when you really hit it. You know, I mean, I think Universal obviously has learned a great deal from Wicked. And, you know, while sort of it's important for me to uh, contextualize the tremendous success of Wicked and everyone who contributed to that so that 
people understand not every show we can possibly develop will end up being wicked, you know, but I, you know, we've got my little corner of the business in, in which I think I've suggested that if we do these things right and we develop them in a smart way and spend the right kind of money in the right kind of way, you can not only, you know, make your money back in, in, in second class markets, but you can also uh, create new IP that could p- potentially contribute to uh, the film studio, you know, in the future. So I think there's just a broader understanding of what a, a successful piece of theater uh, can ultimately contribute to a movie studio. And frankly, I think that studios seem to be populated by people who just love the theater. And so for, for, for a lot of us, I mean, you know, in my experience with both my boss, Jimmy Horowitz and Bob Greenblatt, they just love it. And so, you know, we have an opportunity to be involved. So why not? I think it's just, it's just exciting and everyone, everyone likes the experience. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you planted the seeds of what is now my occupation. Uh, so, so thanks for my job. <laughs> so tell me how you actually got to that job. You personally, what was your path to Hollywood and then helping build this bridge between the two coasts? Well, I started as an actor in Chicago. So I grew up doing shows at all the exciting theaters in the Chicagoland area, Drury Lane Oak Brook and Royal George and Chicago Shakes. And actually it was Drury Lane Evergreen Park is where I did a, a play. And I think that is now a Walmart. I don't think that theater's there, sadly. But I, I was really lucky to just grow up around wonderful theater people doing it on a professional level. And I ended up deciding to move to Los Angeles to pursue a career as an actor. And I wasn't going to go to college. And my folks were like, you are going to college. That's how you're going to make friends. It's how you're going to get to know the lay of the land in Los Angeles. So I ended up enrolling in film school in Orange County. And just, uh, you know, over uh, the, the two years that I ended up uh, being at school, I had an opportunity to explore my acting a little bit further and booked a role on an episode of Woman Grace that led to me getting a really good agent. And I decided I'm done. I'm going to really focus on my acting. I also realized that I probably need a day job so that I could pay my bills. So I went on entertainmentcareers.net and ended up getting a job as the assistant to Gary Ross, who directed the first Hunger Games movie and wrote and directed Seabiscuit and Pleasantville and wrote Dave and Big, a really, really established screenwriter. And, you know, and I'm this kid from Naperville, Illinois, who just ended up uh, on the right website at the right time. I spent about a year and a half working with Gary and ultimately decided that I wanted, uh, like, during that time, I finished my acting. That was, that was it for me. I realized that I had fallen in love with what was happening behind the scenes. So uh, I started working independently after that, trying to put together my own projects. Really just wanted to hit it as a producer. I was developing a musical that I pitched to Warner Brothers Theater Division. I was developing a movie that I'd set up at Mandalay Pictures. And uh, what ultimately happened is, you know, you're not making a whole lot of money when you're just trying to produce independently at uh, at the beginning of your career. Uh, I wouldn't I was... know anything but what you're talking about right now. Not at all. Well, I, I was making, I, I, I was transcribing market research videos for a women's jeans company to make to just be able to pay my rent for a period of time while I was trying to put these projects together. And I hit a moment when I had to call my parents and I was weeping because I had to say I can't pay my rent. And I I was very confused because I'd worked for this big Hollywood screenwriter and director and I'd been a successful actor as a kid and suddenly I, I literally cannot pay my rent. And they said, we will pay your rent and you have to get a job. And so I went back to entertainmentcareers.net. This sounds like I mean, they're not intending to be a commercial for the website, but I'm, by <laughs> but I'm two for two it. and ended up getting a job after six interviews as the assistant to the president of Universal Pictures. And at the time I was pursuing that because I 
was interested in being a movie executive. And it just so happened that my boss, Jimmy, was intimately involved in, in Wicked and Billy Elliot. And at the time, Bring It On was in development. And so it was a nice fit, but my intention was not to become the theater guy at Universal. And about halfway through my time as Jimmy's assistant, Billy Elliot closed on Broadway. And I thought, you know, it's interesting that we don't have anyone full-time just learning the lessons, both good and bad, so that the studio could apply all of that knowledge to whatever comes next for us. So at a year on the dot, I went into Jimmy's office and I said, I'd like to go to lunch and talk about some ideas I have for the future. And he uh, accepted the offer, which was really great. And I think indicative of the kind of boss he's always been for me. And we went out to lunch and just talked about this plan I had in my mind to become the sort of junior theater executive at Universal, uh, trying to, you know, just explore the business on behalf of this company, you know, that didn't have a full-time position. So six months after that, Jimmy let me know that the studio had approved the job. And, you know, I, I immediately in that moment, I thought I've made it. I'm an executive. I'm going to have an office with a window. I'm going to go get a Mercedes and we're good. He moved me two cubicles down <laughs> from where I'd been a second assistant. And I had no development budget and no resources and nothing but a cube in my enthusiasm. So I was fortunate to spend the first several months being able to just learn the lessons of a Broadway show because Bring It On happened at that time. And Mike Isaacson and Kristen Kasky were tremendous mentors through that experience. I was able to just sit in the back of the St. James and watch. And that's all I wanted to do. I certainly knew it would be a mistake to come into a position like that, knowing very little and pretend like I know a lot. So I, I tried to humble myself and just say, I'm here to learn. So I really spent the first year learning. And then something uh, Joe Mahota had said to me when I went to a general meeting at CAA really stuck with me, which is he said, you probably got about a year to prove yourself when you're in a position like this. And he didn't say it in any kind of cynical way. And he thinks it was great advice and true advice when you're in a setting where some senior level executive on the money side could say, what's the point of this line item here? Why? Did, what is this job really doing for us? So I, I decided I got to do something within a year, but like who makes a musical within a year? This is very challenging to do, as you know. And that led me to Holiday Inn, which of course we can talk about, but that was a property that I, I just thought, well, we can do this fairly quickly because the score exists. It's a solid story IP that people kind of know, but don't know intimately. And that was the, the moment that we flipped from me being a student to being both a student and a, a, hopefully a leader of, of the division. Since you brought up Holiday and let's talk about that, which is playing literally right, right underneath up. us right now. Yes, sir. And talk to me a little bit more about why you felt that property was right for Universal. Because as you mentioned before, what I, I love about what Universal does is look at all ways of how to monetize the catalog or yeah. the property, not just Broadway, right? So... Tell me a little bit about what inspired you about Holiday Inn and why you thought it was a valuable property for Universal in the future. Yeah, well, I actually was just going through a drawer in my boss's office looking at movies, trying to figure out if there was anything that maybe we just had the rights to. Because I started learning very early on that there are the vast majority of titles in our catalog have some third party obligation, whether it's a separated rights situation with a screenwriter or his or her estate, you know, whether stage rights were reserved in an underlying work. It's more complicated than I anticipated when I moved into the position. And Holiday Inn is an old movie. We acquired it from Paramount, actually. It wasn't a universal picture originally. 
And I knew that based on the date, which was, you know, in the 40s, it was possible that we owned everything outright. And I was, again, I was seeking something that we could do to demonstrate that I was able to develop a mechanism for musical theater creation at the studio. And that just stuck out to me, something that could happen in short order. So I watched the movie. I'd actually never seen it before. I'm a huge White Christmas fan. So I was kind of familiar uh, with the existence of the movie since everyone said White Christmas was sort of a spinoff of, of the, you know, the key moment of holiday in uh and i thought well this this kind of naturally sings and also it's an imperfect movie i mean it's actually there are some real problems with the movie that are, are just the result of it being in a decade that is far far behind us and there's a blackface number that it's a, a real problem and i looked at that and thought well but the, the core story about an inn that is only open in holidays is wonderful and i think that we can we could certainly make it interesting to a modern day audience if we could get the berlin music it would be really an, an honor i think for for all of us i'm such a huge fan of Irving berlin and so you know i made the phone call to ted chapin and he was kind enough to meet with me and i think he thought well, this young kid is probably not going to be here next week but fine i'll take the meeting and you know i suggested let's not talk about broadway here because i one i don't know enough about how to get a show to broadway yet but two who knows if this is even a broadway show so at the time uh, my boss had put me in touch with gordon greenberg our director and co-writer and i shared the movie with gordon and gordon was really into it and gordon had a great relationship with goodspeed and goodspeed was really into it and so we just all sort of collectively decided let's just do this together and let's make let's make it just be about the good speed run it's that 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 is the the, the stakes of this are limited to a great audience in one particular theater in one particular place anticipating that the next step for it would be licensing because if there's one thing i knew it was that people would want to be in and present productions of holiday Inn and Irving berlin musical and i grew up being in theater more than going to theater. So I have a huge affection for for second-class markets. I think it is it is instrumental in, in causing uh, kids in particular to fall in love with the arts. So I think that there was nothing there was nothing to be ashamed of to me in suggesting this is something that would break for licensing. So we developed that at, at, at a really at a clip. I mean, we had an outline and, and Goodspeed announced the production based on the outline for one year later. So the show, we hadn't even started a draft of it. And it was Gordon Greenberg and our co-writer and his co-writer, uh, Chad Hodge, really just crushed it in creating a musical in a really short amount of time. And we had Sam Davis came on and did the arrangements. And, and then Bruce Pomack joined us here in New York. And so we did the good speed run. It was really well received. Audiences loved it. It extended a number of times. And then Mike Isaacson was kind enough uh, to do the show at the Muni. So we got to see it on the total opposite end of the size spectrum. That's the massive theater. And we had their huge orchestra and just, you know, just blew it up in every kind of way. Roundabout saw the show and... No, I think, again, we were thinking maybe we'll do a tour, maybe we'll put into licensing. But when, when Todd said he was interested in doing it, it seemed like, you know, what a, what a great way for it to have its New York moment. I mean, I think the lesson of, the lesson of Goodspeed was that the core audience of that show will always look very much like the subscription base of that theater. And, and, and what I loved about The Roundabout was I knew that we would be presenting the show to people who really, really wanted to see it. You know, our, our we didn't not, we didn't, we didn't have roundabout, we didn't let roundabout produce it on Broadway just because we, we, you know, we didn't want to spend $14 million on it. At the end of the day, we feel like the most important thing is to put it in front of the right people. And, and, and by far, you know, roundabout just made the most sense with that kind of. Audience.
so it's been, the whole thing's been tremendously exciting. Roundabout did a great job producing the show, and we're really excited about what will come next for it. You know, yeah. What I love about that story and and the path that you chose for it is that look, let's face it, it is Universal Pictures. So if you wanted to steamroll it onto Broadway, yeah. you could figure out a way to do that. Fourteen million dollars for a studio, you could find it, you could get a theater owner to give it to you. But you very smartly didn't think beyond good speed. It was one step at a time. And even if that was it, and then licensing, that was enough. Yeah. And I, I just think that's so important for all of us out there creating and producing shows to remember is that don't think about Broadway as you're writing your script. Just write it, try to get to the next well, step. It was really nice for the creative team because I think everyone understood that the production at Goodspeed may be the only time that we ever all do the show together before handing it off to high schools and community theaters. And so everyone approached it with the same enthusiasm and commitment as if we were opening here at Studio 54, you know, and we were on the fourth or fifth floor of this tiny little opera house on the Connecticut River. So it, it what, what I think what that did in being, uh, in, in giving people just a sense of freedom in creation was was really important and something that I think we continue to, uh, to use as a model for a number of things that you know we're developing and will be developing in the future. And how do you decide whether Universal should do it or whether you should let a commercial theater producer do it? So I call you, I say, Chris, I'm interested in the rights to this. You go, oh, I, I need to figure out if we're going to do that or I should let you can do it. Is What's the process there? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of it is just sort of personal taste, you know, amongst uh, me and Jimmy and Bob. If something is really exciting to us, both as a property and as a potential collaboration, then I think it's much more likely we're going to say, well, let's do it together. One, because it would be fun, and two, because, you know, there's more upside for us. And I think the commitment of the studio is always uh, an appealing thing for our commercial partners most of the time. I think they like that, that, that when the studio really wants to support something, it can support in a big way. You know, there are titles that I think will sort of feel like this, uh, okay, you want to give that a go? Fine. You know, we'll, we'll have a, a right to invest and good luck. Sounds crazy, but who knows? Crazy things can turn into beautiful, wonderful things. So, I, you know, I just it, it's on a case-by-case basis. I mean, we don't do a lot of licensing. You know, we take our uh, the value of our IP very seriously. And so to be able to be involved and make sure that we're protecting the integrity of the piece and the property, the franchise, whatever it may be, it's, it's important to us. But we're a small division totally dependent upon collaboration. You know, we're small by design. It's 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 me and my assistant, Brian, and my associate, Lo, and Jimmy and Bob. That's Universal Stage Productions. And so we are more often than not looking, you know, to just have lots of active, healthy relationships with producers and theaters. So something that I've also been witnessing lately, and I just got back from London where I saw the Potters, which I know is not your studio, so I won't talk about it. But it's our theme park. That's true. That's true. And it's fantastic. I was just, my wife and I went there on an anniversary. Good, right? That's fantastic. So butterbeer all day long. Yeah. And I've certainly noticed that what I'm excited about Broadway, Broadway is so hot now that some brands are starting to extend their very valuable brand onto the stage. And I, this is the other direction of, of what you're working on a day-to-day basis. But do you hear, Jimmy, do you hear other execs going like, oh, this big tentpole movie that we're doing, or oh, this movie, you know, we could eventually slide that down to, to the musical world. Is that being talked about at all now? It's being talked about, I think, in a very sort of early kind of way. I think people are just 
learning the vocabulary. I think that the relationships that my division is attempting to develop with some of the more junior development executives and even senior development executives are just sort of starting to materialize. And the more they're aware that we're present within the company, I think the, the, the more active those conversations will be. I'm certainly kept up to date now on scripts that we've acquired or movies that are going to be made that potentially make sense on the musical side. And we're trying to do the same thing in which we're suggesting that, you know, while the core of our business has been in adapting universal IP, we are now getting involved in things that are not based on our movies, so long as there is an opportunity to acquire those film rights at the onset, because I feel like that's something that we can offer to the movie side, again, as justification for our existence. But everyone is, is certainly starting to think about a little bit more, you know, globally, but there's, I think, an ongoing skepticism of what current IP could mean if we're exploiting it on the stage side. Meaning if you're talking about a franchise that is active and healthy and that has a lot of goodwill and there where there may be another movie coming out next year or the year after, what would a stage production do to that? And I, I, I know what I think the answer would be, which is I don't think that a stage production would do much to that. I think if it's a bad version of a particular franchise, then the musical may come and go, but I don't think it's really going to impact that particular film franchise. But that's, you know, that's something that I think that Universal and probably every motion picture company continue to think about and, 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 and wonder. So, uh, you know, we're all playing together really well, but we're still in that sort of early dating phase, I guess you could say. And what about television? Obviously, Bob's role and his, his role in the television side of it. Do you see more musicals and plays being derived from television properties of yours? I mean, we're certainly, we're certainly doing a few of them right now have um, a couple cool projects based on some classic television series. They're tricky. I mean, I think that they're a little bit trickier in that you've got a whole season, maybe multiple seasons of expectations from your audience. You know, uh, if you're talking about a TV series, uh, you know, folks who are going to be looking at the theatrical adaptation could be wanting a particular storyline, a particular episode, a particular set of characters. Whereas in a film, you have something that is fairly structured and, you know, that you want it to become its own self. Generally speaking, it, it, it retains kind of the same general story arc. So I, I like the idea of uh, adapting a television series into plays and musicals, um, but I think it's a little bit, it's just more challenging creatively. And I've probably got three or four of them that we're excited about. Can you tell us what those are? Absolutely not. Damn it. <laughs> I've tried. No, I mean, I've listeners, I've tried. <laughs> we're actually, it, it's an interesting philosophy, but it's really important to me. Um, I think we could make a splash with a lot of the things we're developing right now. We really don't talk about any of them. And um, we talk about them when they're ready to talk about and when they're real. And part of that, I think, is just a desire to protect the creative team so that their process is their process and they're not being weighed down by just endless and it's blogs or message boards or feedback telling them what it should be or dismissing it early on. You know, I look, I'm probably the world's number one skeptic when someone is taking movie title plus the musical. Um, so I understand the reaction that, that these things often receive. I think it's a great trait for people in positions like mine to be skeptical of it. And most of them make me roll my eyes. And then it's about finding the thing that makes me no longer want to roll my eyes. So I, I, I just think given what it is, given that there is still just still that general kind of hesitancy as it relates to taking a big media properly and turning it into a player musical. I just like to keep the team free of that as long as we possibly can. Do you ever think any of the big studios will own a theater here in New York? 
I mean, Disney's lucky with what they got going on 42nd Street. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'd have to, you know, turn that over to someone who understands the business implications of that more than I, I do at the moment. I love to have a space that we could always walk into and call our own. Um, but I also think that it's important to us to be part of the theater community as it is. And so to have a show that's in, you know, a, a theater that is owned by someone else that, you know, we're able to form a great relationship with, I think is going to be helpful when we have multiple shows at one time. So I don't know the answer to the question, but I sure do love going into theaters. So, you know, who knows? So Universal has one of the best track records of all the studios, you know, the success of Wicked, Billy Elliot. Why do you think that is? What, what has made Universal so good at doing this? Great collaborations with great people. I mean, I, you know, I have nothing to do with Wicked. It's 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 David Stone and it's Mark Platt, you know, on Billy Elliot, which which you had in, in our producers from working title. You know, I, I think that we've been successful because we have had a, a perfect match of a producer and creative team and, you know, regional theaters, nonprofits with a particular property. And it's actually, I mean, what I consider in the work that I'm doing now as, as the, 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 the key to my ultimate success is partnering the right people with the right thing. I mean, I think that my job really comes down to just doing that. And I think even before I came to Universal, the studio just did an exceptional job at making that happen. And I think that the properties have had just an incredible amount of heart. You know, I think we, I think we really pride ourselves on having a catalog, you know, and, and window cards in our offices of shows that are at once moving and thrilling and deeply satisfying in the theater. So that that's a great answer. And when those pe- how do you know when one of those people are the right people? So someone calls to you to license something, you are looking to license it. What about that person says, oh, this is the type of person I want to work with? From producers to writers, what kind of team do you look to put together? What characteristics do they have? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, for me, it's being able to look someone in the eye and understand that they just couldn't live without it, you know, that if I, you know, when it comes to writers, for example, I mean, I, I always ask the question, if the movie didn't exist, if there wasn't the, the fame of the title or the, the you know, the, the thrill of however it did at the box office or that great iconic performance of the Academy Awards, would you still want to work on this? You know, can we can we separate it from the gig that exists by being, being able to hire you and and put it in the category of, is this just a great match of the story that you would want to tell no matter what. And, you know, as far as producing partners, I think that the most important thing is just a, a really, really enthusiastic, smart approach to the way in which something is going to be developed. I'm thrilled when someone comes to me and says, yeah, Broadway, we're, I would love if we end up on Broadway, but let me talk to you about how I actually think this is a cool thing in a, in a warehouse in downtown Los Angeles, because I know that at this point, they're no longer thinking about the financial implications of it. They're just thinking about what serves it best uh, from a creative perspective. And finally, I'd say that my philosophy, generally speaking, is I just want to, not even generally speaking, it's my philosophy. I want to work with people I like on things that we love doing together. You know, life is too short and these things are such intimate collaborations and I want to have a great time. You know, I like I didn't get into the theater business so that I could be bummed out all the time or not like the people that I'm hanging out with. So we just try to have a, a, a really joyful time putting together theater. And I think that process always shows up on the stage. Speaking of people, what are the main differences between people who work in theater and people who work in the movie? <laughs> your LA I, friends versus your New York know, friends. Don't worry. We, we I know. Look at this LA microphone now, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I can say here. Geo targeted, so no LA people are going to hear this. 
That's a lot. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. I, you know, I've been so um, immersed in the in the film and television world, you know, for so many years now that I, I mean, I just have a tremendous affection for the people I work with in Los Angeles. I mean, the lifestyle is certainly different. I was just talking to someone else yesterday about how, like, I feel when I'm in New York guilty if I'm back in my hotel room, you know, anytime before 11 p.m. It just feels like I'm not doing what you're supposed to do as a, as a theater person here. And of course, in LA, I'm like, if I'm, I need to be home by 7.30 because I got to turn on Food Network. You know, it's like, that's, that's my life. And we'll read scripts at home and everything. But, you know, the, uh, I don't know, I think there's a similar passion for, for what we do. Obviously, the, the financial reality of working in the theater business is different. So people who really, really, really have to love what they do because you can go for a long period of time, you know, without making a significant amount of money. Uh, but I, I, I love both. And I actually think that that's why we work so well together. I think that's why our industries are able to converge. And in particular, I'm starting to work with more folks in television, which turns out to be a really to me, fun way to develop theater. They're used to a writer's room a best idea wins mentality. And so I think that television folks in particular are inherently collaborative, which makes them a, sort of a great fit for, for the theater world. So that I really danced around uh, the question you asked there. I didn't say anything bad at all about my Los Angeles life, but you know, I guess the main difference is we all drive cars all day long. <laughs> so I, I didn't prep this question at all, but the television collaboration model that you just described that works so well, the best idea wins. Do you ever think a play or a musical could be written the same way a television series is written, get 10 musical writers, 10 book writers in a room and say, we're doing a musical about, I don't know, podcast the musical. We're going to get Terrence McNally. We're going to get Joe DiPietro. We're going to get Rick Ellis. Put him in a room. Best idea wins. Do you think that would ever work? I have no idea, but I think you should definitely try it. <laughs> you should definitely try it. I, you know, I mean, I think what, what I what I enjoy about the television writers that I've worked with, and in particular, Chad Potch, who, again, co-wrote the book to Holiday, and he's writing a, a really exciting play for us right now. You know, but he's he just uh, is the showrunner of this new show he created with Michelle Dockery called Good Behavior on TNT right now. And I think that why he's so well-suited for the theater is because you know, part of the job is not just being able to come up with a great line of dialogue, but it's being able to identify the ideas that other people are coming up with from your, you know, your sound designer who suggests something to to an actor. And I think that ultimately it's his job to to be able to determine which of those ideas are going to best contribute to the piece. So I think I, I guess it's possible. I think it would be it would be challenging in the in the musical theater in a in a way that maybe it's a little bit different in television, just as far as tone and and, and style. But it'd certainly be an interesting. Experience. We could do it together if you want. I mean, <laughs> what's interesting is that the theater is the one art form that we we don't actually use multiple writers often. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, someone will get fired, someone will come in to dock or something. But movies, there are multiple screenwriters on it all the time. Yeah. Television, multiple writers. We're yeah. the one entertainment industry that doesn't really. Do yeah, that. I mean, what I what I what I love about that is I think the power that it gives the writer. I mean, you and I know sometimes as a producer, it can, you can put you in a frustrating situation, but I think it's why the, the work is so often wonderful. You know, the, I think the committee thing, theater by committee is, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a good thing. You know, I think that's different than a conversation about how many writers can be in a room. I like, and it's good for me that ultimately the writers we're working with are able to, you know, take the note I offer up or not. And as long as they believe in it, generally speaking, we've always come out, you know, in a, in a, in a better place.
So that brings up the question, actually, that, in, you know, of course, in Broadway, the artist owns the work. We have a totally different business model than Hollywood. In Hollywood, you big studios, you own everything, you get to do with it whatever you want. Broadway, it's the opposite. Do you find difficult to get people to understand that in Hollywood or in Broadway, how Hollywood wants to work? Did you guys want to come in? Have you ever thought about paying someone of a quarter of a million dollars for a script and then just owning it outright? How do you translate the two languages in terms of business deals? Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a, a very different vocabulary in, in the movie business. And so our business and legal affairs department, I think, has gone through quite a, a learning experience as we've ventured more and more into the theater business as a whole. I mean, I think that we're really respectful of the place that writers or the role that writers play in the theater industry. And so though we have unique deals that give us flexibility in second class markets, you know, without necessarily, you know, anticipating a Broadway run. As a whole, we make sure that writers feel that all of the right to their material is something that's preserved. You know, I, I, I want to make sure that people look at Universal Stage Productions and say that is that is an artist-friendly place. It's a good place to work, good people to work with. Uh, yeah, they have a lot of leverage in being able to make whatever kind of deals they're interested in making because they're a property owner. But I, I don't, I don't want to cynically approach the just the authority that a movie studio can have. I'd rather say we're we are part of your community and we we we, we can shake it up a little bit if we think it's in service. Of of everyone's interests and allowing you know plays and musicals to go further and to ultimately make more money. But f- for the most part, I think that the studios really come around and understand that there's there's a, there's a slight difference in the way we have to approach this. We got to be good with it. So my penultimate question here on my notes is: Ask Chris what Universal titles he's developing now, which you've already told me you're not going to do. So sorry, bro. We'll skip on to the <laughs> final question, which is my genie question. Uh-huh. So I want you to imagine that the genie from that other studio and Aladdin comes to knock on your door and yeah. says, Chris, I want to thank you so much for building the bridge between the big Hollywood studios and Broadway. Yeah. And I'm going to grant you one wish. What's the one thing that drives you so crazy about Broadway? You're such a genial guy. Like, What makes you mad and angry and jumping up and down about Broadway that you'd ask this genie to wish away in an instant? Good question. I mean, I, you know, very rarely does anything make me mad. I mean, generally generally exactly. speaking, I try and be very, very happy and optimistic. I guess that I'm pretty realistic about the fact that I don't, I think that everything is going to get more expensive before it gets any cheaper. So understanding that constant, understanding that we're probably not going to be able to make these shows much more affordable, I wish that we could really open our minds to alternate streams of revenue. I think that if, if we knew that there are other ways for us to be making money with the things that we are producing here and developing, then we won't always be whining about how expensive it is to produce and how expensive the ticket prices are. Because I think we would know that there are these other areas in which we can monetize. Now, I don't even know what all of those things are yet. I think this live streaming business is really important. You know, I think anything that we can do, I'm a believer that none of that will cannibalize the audience. I think it serves as a massive commercial for the live experience. I don't think it can ever replace it. I think we've got to continue identifying ways in which we can take this thing that we've produced in New York City or wherever we've produced it and make more money in ways that we maybe haven't even thought of yet. So I guess that's the thing that I would wish that we just really, again, I don't actually have the solution to that. There are things that we've never even talked about yet that someday I think you and I are going to be saying, I can't believe it took, it can't believe it took us that long to figure out that that would be an, an added benefit for us in making these things economically sensible. I love it. It's such a great approach because there are so many things about Broadway that 
you you can't control in terms of the expense. There are just right. whether it's a union regulation yeah. or whether it's the price of a certain type of fiber that needs to go into a costume. You can't control that, but you can control looking for other ways to generate income and revenue for your production. So I think that's a, a great answer. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you next time. This has been the Producers Perspective Podcast. Have a great turkey day, everybody. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.